0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: The best story, even as a kid, the best stories that I wrote, or I should say probably an early teen because I read a story that I wrote when I was a kid recently. my My mom found it and it was really embarrassing. So let's say when my skills developed a bit, in in my teens the best stories that i wrote were the stories that pulled directly from my own experience so say i had been sat in a room you know i could i could describe the exact situation and the emotions and the feelings and the smells in that moment and that's what really would bring a story to life and so as i began to embark on this career as a copywriter client after client would come to me and I would be able to hold space for them and they would just open up to me. And I I know that you experience this all the time with your podcast guests, Um, but it was just incredible. Like, wow, they're really opening up. They're really telling me everything that they've been through, everything that led them to this moment. And it was those stories that I realized other people so needed to hear. It was those stories that enabled them to be really authentic and really honest about who they were. And let's face it, if you have any kind of online business or you're expecting someone to do business with you when you've never actually met, like they need to get that sense of you. They need to get a sense of like, well, why do you care? Like, where do you come from? What's your deal? Like, so, um, yeah, so I, I, I think it's a really obvious thing to say, but yeah, just really being completely transparent. I even think about the stories that I share and I always say, oh, you know, I'm an open book. But even with me, I think that there's another level deeper that I could go in terms of really opening up. And I think that the more that we do that, the more that we open up and really share what's going on with us, the more we help other people realize that they're not alone, that we're all in this together. We're all trying to figure this out together. No one's got things completely figured out. No one has, like, it doesn't matter how it looks on social media. Um, and so that's what I would say.
4: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or
0: sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Nikki, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so pleased to be here.
0: Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So you are not only a longtime friend, but also a longtime listener of The Unmistakable Creative. And uh, when I saw what you've been up to lately, I kind of figured it was a no-brainer to have you here as a guest. But before we get into all of that, I want to start by asking you what did your parents do for a living and what impact did that end up having on your life and the choices that you've made with your career
1: mm, good question well my parents did a few different jobs as we were growing up but really interestingly my um, my mom at first was a stay-at-home mom um, while we were still young and then she went back to her original career which was teaching and Recently, my business has kind of been transitioning, and I'm realizing that I'm really drawn to teaching. And I think I, I think that so much of that is due to how I was brought up. Um, you know, I'm I'm really lucky in the fact that my parents never made any secret of the fact that they loved me and supported me and were so proud of me. Um, I grew up in an evangelical Christian church for almost 20 years of my life, and from an early age, my parents were leaders in that church and would get up and preach, even my mom, who used to sit there, an entire church full of people and watch her doing her thing um, you know and she was a woman on a mission with a voice she wasn 't afraid to use and I may not go to church anymore, but it 's clear the gist of what I absorbed from her back in those days and, and both of my parents as leaders as people who weren 't afraid to stand up and share what they believed and and uh, you know really. Inspire people in in the way that they wanted, you know, it has definitely influenced my mission and my life's work you know, I'm really passionate about helping Purpose-fueled movement makers have more of an impact by finding and shaping and sharing their message and their story So the right people hear it. So I feel like my mom really taught me that if you have a voice then you have to use it Mm -hmm. I don't know if she really knows that she had that influence and impact on me, but um, she definitely did. I don't know if she, I don't know if she sees herself through the same eyes that I see her, but she is a strong woman. And I come from a a long line of strong women. My, my Nana as well, who we sadly lost at the beginning of last year was just phenomenal and, and a real character and never afraid to speak up and speak her mind. And we all loved her for that. You know, I, I, uh, I remember when we, uh, all got together as a family at her funeral. And it's probably sounds weird to say, but it was like the best send off ever because we all just had such great memories and stories to share about her. And the best part is that when, um, when she passed, she had a a bright, bold pink streak in her hair, which I remember about a year before, um, before she passed, she spoke to me about doing that she said you know I'm thinking about putting a pink streak in my hair and I said no no I think that's the best idea ever I think you should go for it who cares (laughs) you know so yeah I think there's um, some different threads of influence there
0: Mm. what about your dad
1: my dad. Yeah, I didn't really mention him too much. Um, my dad, uh, my dad has always, I think he's always had kind of this entrepreneurial spirit. He did have his own business for quite some time. Um, and both of my parents are retired now, but he was the director of a company, um, with some friends of his for a long time as well and did really well for himself. One thing about my dad that's significant is that he left school at 16 and then he worked really hard to, achieve what he was able to achieve in his life and so he has this sort of this tenacity and this desire to never give up my, my dad always has an opinion and doesn't like to be told what to do either and I think that that rebellious attitude has influenced me in my decision to become an entrepreneur and use my voice in this way as well um And I think, you know, just having two people behind you who continually push you to be better and do better means I I continue to push myself even long after other people might have given up. I commit for the long haul and try and find the blessings, if you will, in every challenge. And I think that I I owe that in large part to my parents.
0: Mm, Wow. Uh, As an adult, uh, I know you said you don't go to church anymore. What role does faith play in your life now? And what misperceptions do you think people have about evangelical Christians? I'm just curious because I'm wondering what my own misperceptions are.
1: You know, I, I always explain the church that I went to as a kid in that way because I think that there are so many different um, You know, if you say you went to church, that could really mean anything. But I went to church with people who were incredibly passionate about their beliefs to the point that it often um, manifested with people dancing around the church. And, you know, we had a band with a drum kit. And, you know, there was a lot of joy in the church services that I attended Um, while I am still on my own journey of discovery. And um, I would say that I... I'm open. I'm very open-minded to whatever might come my way and whatever might be revealed to me. Um, I'm not closed off by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I also do have that rebellious streak in that I don't want to be told what to believe. And I really think that if, if you believe something with all of your being, and you want to live your life according to those beliefs. And that's great. And if you want to share those beliefs and there's people that want to jump on board and and believe that and live that lifestyle as well, then that's cool. But I don't believe in forcing things down people's throats. And so I think, you know, you hear people talk about, um, you know, use phrases like Bible bashes and whatever else. And I think that that's just from this, this idea that, You know, you have to keep telling someone what they should believe rather than allowing it to be this gradual unfolding or this exploration. Um, I don't believe in force feeding people religion, basically, I guess is what I would say. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, it sounds to me that you were brought up uh, in an environment that was almost designed to breed creativity and sort of an entrepreneurial spirit. And I'm guessing you've probably worked with people who were not brought up in those types of environments. How do people overcome being brought up in an environment like that? That's not like the one that you were in.
1: Mm, that's a good question. And I don't think I've ever really seen my upbringing like that. But I like that you see it that way because sometimes you need someone else to reflect that back to you. And, you know, now I'm thinking about it. My Nana was an incredible artist and uh, wrote, wrote a book and my mom had, had an artistic streak as well. And I definitely think that I was encouraged to be my best self and to, um, writing was something that was always part of my life. And I, that, that was something that was definitely encouraged. Um, and actually, you know, there, there's, there's another side of my upbringing that I kind of didn't want to go here right away, but it was, I guess, authoritarian in that there were a very strict set of rules that I had to, obey. And I think actually that was the thing that forced me in some ways to be more creative and to express myself through the written word. I actually was really shy for so many years and I really didn't feel like I had a voice in any real meaningful way. You know, if you speak to anyone that went to high school with me, they'll be like, Oh, Nikki was so quiet. You know, even just growing up, I remember my parents' friends would say, Nikki's so quiet. But, um, you know I, I found my voice in other ways, and I think that that's what helped me to be creative. So in terms of other people, I think you know whenever any of us look back at our lives and our upbringings and what we've been through, I think that there are there's always the potential for creativity, and actually sometimes creativity can be born out of the most difficult situations. you know, some of the most beautiful songs that have been written. Some of the most heartrending poems that have been shared are from people who really have been through difficult times and a great deal of adversity. So yeah, I, I actually I actually kind of wish that I was um brought up in a more sort of hippy-dippy um loose <laughs> environment where I got to really explore and, and go wild. But um but I really believe that our experiences make us into the, the people that we are and that we were meant to have them, so... Yeah. I don't have any regrets.
0: It's funny when everybody bring, anybody brings up adversity creating to art. I'm like, yeah, the rock band Chicago has built a multi-decade recording career fueled by nothing but heartbreak and pain, apparently.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it was Sting who did a TED talk on the fact that when his life, everything in his life was going really, really well, yeah. he suddenly couldn't write songs anymore. <laughs> and That's he had hilarious. to, he had to find new inspiration because he couldn't write about heartbreak or breaking other people's hearts.
0: It's interesting because you brought up being, you know, raised in this very sort of disciplined and, and rigid environment, and I'd never thought about it up until now part of what i what i think has created the discipline that i have to sit down and do what i do every day is the fact that i was raised in a very strict environment in which some level of discipline was enforced for us it was basically not practicing something you do every day but it was make sure you get good grades and study all the time it was literally that the the idea of consistency was drilled into my head i think from a very early age
2: Mm,
1: that's interesting because i feel like that the rebel in me (laughs) came out of herself more in my teen years when I really wanted to do whatever the hell I wanted to do. And I didn't want anyone else to tell me any different. Um, and so she might've been a quiet rebel, but that rebellious spirit was definitely there. Um, And so that is actually something that I've wrestled with a little bit. I had a really great conversation with Randy Buckley, who um, created the program Healthy Boundaries for Kind People. Recently, we got to meet up in California in Monterey, beautiful part of the world. And we were talking about this rebellious streak that we actually both share and talking about the fact that sometimes when you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, if you see someone else doing something slightly similar to what you want to do, the first inclination is to be like, "Oh, that's it. I'm not doing that now. I've got to do something completely different." Because you you want to be different. You want to change the status quo. You don't want to do you don't want to follow the tried and true formula. You don't want to follow someone else's rule book. You want to do your own thing. And actually sometimes that can have the effect of sabotaging your path forward. Like, I think that if I didn't have that tendency, I might be further forward than I am right now. Not that I'm not really happy about where I am in my business, but I think that's something interesting that I uncovered.
0: So two things from sort of this early part of your growing up. Uh, One, what was the first sort of form of creative expression that you remember having and how did it manifest? And two, your mom being a teacher, what did she teach you about teaching and what makes a good teacher?
1: Well, my mom taught me to read and write before I even went to school. And I remember just being, I loved reading. I would devour books. And so that led to me writing stories. I would write stories all the time about anything that we did. We would go to a local farm to pet the animals and I would write a story about the pig or the horse. And um, even growing up, I remember one of my my favorite earliest birthday presents that I can remember was a typewriter and I remember one time as well my nana who I have mentioned before was such a uh, an influential figure in my life giving me this blue hard-backed it was like an old diary an old scheduler and she gave it to me to write in and it had so many pages it was like endless blank pages that I got to scroll across and it became this very private book that I would take everywhere with me and, and write things down in and um I remember when I was seven years old that I wrote a letter to Penguin Books, which I know are your publisher, actually. And I asked them if I could be a writer for them. And they wrote me a very, very nicely worded rejection letter, <laughs> uh, which I think I still have somewhere. But yeah, I, I always loved writing. And so then you, you go to school and, and they you know have you fill out a questionnaire so they can figure out which career path to push you down. And mine said, I should maybe be a journalist or a lawyer. And anyway, I think it's really interesting that writing has always been the, a thread in whatever I've done. and especially now. Um, And then you had asked me about my mum as well in terms of her being a teacher. Remind me what you asked me around that again. Uh,
0: What did she teach you about being a good teacher?
1: Mm. I think she just had this standard to which she expected us to Perform to and it and, and I'm not saying that in the sense that she was, you know Pushing us beyond beyond what we were able to achieve But she could see in us our potential and what we were able to accomplish and so she would help us really cultivate the discipline that was necessary in order to achieve the goals that we set for ourselves um, You know my mum my went to teacher training college I think that I may have been the first in our family to go to university. Um, and I really believe that the way that she taught me in the discipline, she taught me around learning and really studying and, and performing to the best of my ability was something that has, that went on to influence me later on in life as well. Mm.
0: What did you do when you left school and how did you get to where you're at today?
1: Uh, do you want the long version? Yeah, Definitely. <laughs> Okay. Well, I went to Birmingham University, which is the equivalent of an Ivy League university here in the States to study English. And there's even a story around that because I was supposed to score higher grades than I did and I dropped a grade and then I was um, all of my friends knew where they were going and I still didn't know if I could definitely go to Birmingham and I was waiting and waiting and I remember someone called me up and offered me a place at the university but studying medieval English and I was like no I don't want to study medieval English so I I hung on and finally they said yeah we've got a place for you so I assumed someone else decided they didn't want to go so it worked out Um, I, I had a conversation with someone once I I was kind of detailing all the sort of highlights on my career path and saying you know I got really lucky I got really lucky and she said whoa 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 whoa, I don't think that you got really lucky I think you're a master manifester and I was like yeah actually I prefer that better um so I went to Birmingham University and I felt incredibly lucky or I felt incredibly honored to be there. Um, and I worked for the student newspaper and radio station and fun stuff like that. And then when I returned to Northampton right after university, Northampton is the town where I grew up. Um, I got what I thought at the time was my dream job working for the local cable television network. What, what I knew but did not pay enough attention to at the time was that all of their reporters and production crew had left right before they brought me and a couple of others on board. And so I went on to report the news, read the news, host entertainment shows, and produce all of them. Um, so I was like multiple people um, serving different, uh, multiple different roles. Uh, but I was happy to do that. And I liked having all these different skills and responsibilities. And then one day, everyone's paycheck bounced. And they were completely out of cash. And rumor had it that the manager was laundering money out of the company, which became apparent when he stopped taking calls and vanished into thin air. So for two months after that, I was desperate. Like I just I had to get a job. So I found a job in a local paper asking for sales reps for an electricity broker. So I did that for a bit worst job I've ever had um really toxic environment I had to go into businesses and convince them to change their electricity company and until I heard no seven times I wasn't allowed to leave the premises and uh a manager at the company which again was a shady enterprise because it's long since folded once suggested um that I steal something from the business I was in because they clearly didn't care about saving money. So it was just like, it was just awful. It was not a good situation. And then after that, um, a company that I'd been doing a little bit of part-time work for, um, previously, I knew that they didn't have a marketing manager. And I thought, you know what, I think that I could go in and I think that I could manage their marketing for them. And so I pitched myself for the job. They had me come in for a meeting and they went for it and I got paid like nothing to start with, but I was the marketing manager for the UK subsidiary of what was a global company is a global company and they have like something like 52 different subsidiaries all around the world and I hadn't had a marketing job before so I had to learn everything everything from the ground up, everything on the go. I had to educate myself, I had to watch webinars, I had to read, 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 and learn everything as I went. And um, it served me well because after a few years, I remember my management director, who was one of my earliest mentors, saying to me, you know, the marketing's better than it's ever been. And that was incredible for me to hear a, a young 20-something-year-old who had no prior experience but again, I think it goes back a little bit to to my dad and the way that he is and and just this sort of innate scrappiness in me and this desire to this this toughness and this resilience that, you know, I don't take no for an answer. And I and I am the, so determined to succeed. And if there is a challenge or an obstacle in my path, then I'll figure out how to get around it. Um, so I worked for that company for five years and towards the end of that time I started kind of getting itchy feet I was like okay I feel like I've mastered this now I'm ready for for the next challenge so I started you know I, Northampton as a town it's a couple of years ago it was ranked second worst place to live in the UK and it has been struggling a lot recently news reports say the town is decaying and the council has been having a lot of financial problems I don't remember it that way you know partly because like any town it has periods of growth and prosperity in times of struggle but for me, that was where I lived. But towards the end of those five years, I was like, you know what? I, I'm ready to get out. I'm ready for something more. There was always this little voice inside my head reminding me that every time I looked beyond the perimeters of my comfort zone, I could see this there was this uncharted territory out there with endless possibilities for me. And so I knew that spending my whole life in that town was not for me. So I started looking for jobs in London. I got offered a job in London. I went to my boss because he was such a great mentor of mine. And I said, Hey, look, I've been offered this job. This is what they're offering me. What do you think? And he said, I don't think they're offering you enough. I don't think you should take it. I think that something else is going to come up for you. And within a few months, the marketing manager for the U.S. subsidiary gave in her two weeks notice. She sent an email out to everyone saying, hey, you know, it's time, time for me to move on. And when I read that email, my heart skipped a beat and I thought, wait, could I, could I go and live in America? And I was like, that's ridiculous. You don't know anyone there. But within uh, my, my boss thought it was a great idea too. I think originally he was hoping he could kind of loan me to them for for a year and get me back. Um, so I came over on a three-year visa. And, you know, I left everything and everyone I'd ever known behind me in the UK. I remember someone saying to me, I, I could never do that. I could never do what you're doing. But it just seemed like – it kind of seemed like a no-brainer to me. Like, of course, this is what I have to do because I just – Seemed to, there's Something in me told me that there was something greater waiting for me on the other side of the Atlantic. And so I stayed with them at the end of each year that my visa was running. I was like, well, I'm not ready to go yet. They weren't ready for me to leave. Eventually they sponsored my green card. And again, that five year itch started up. Um, I had been following people like yourself, people, uh, other influential. Uh, entrepreneurs who were doing really amazing things online. And it became clear to me that there was an opportunity for me to do something similar. And I remember um, taking a writing course and a blogging course with someone I really looked up to and admired. And I said, you know, I'm thinking about starting a business. And what do you think? And I really like writing. And, and, and she said, well, you should be a copywriter then. So I was like, all right, let's do this. So I started my business on the side of my full-time gig. I was regularly working full-time days, and then I'd go home and work till 2 a.m. writing copy for people. Um, And for some crazy reason, I had a 24-hour turnaround offering at the time, so I was really putting a lot of pressure on myself. But um, I ended up, I was booking out for like three months Um, and it seemed I I had this little nest egg built up and I was like, I think it's, it's time. It's time for me to take the leap. And I remember going to my boss at the time and saying, Hey, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. And we sort of had this roundabout conversation and I went back to my desk, like, wait, I don't think that I did just quit. I think that I just got talked into staying. And I sat at my desk for two weeks like, oh, what am I going to do? And finally, after two weeks, I called him and I said, hey, can we have another meeting? And I went and I sat with him. And, I, and the thing that helped it really click into place for him and really allowed me to do what I wanted to do was the moment that I said, look, this is something I've just got to do. Because he was telling me all the reasons why I shouldn't do it. And I said, this is just something I've got to do. I need to know if I can do this. And so he He let me go. And, um, yeah, and that was six years ago. And so much has happened since then. I feel like running a business, it helps you evolve so much as a person because you don't have any choice. All of your stuff comes up and you have to deal with it. You have to really take the time to explore who you are and how you want to be showing up in the world and and how you treat other people as well and, and how you want to be in relationship with people as clients, as strategic partners, as friends and collaborators. So there's been a lot to navigate over the past six years, but that's, that's how I got to entrepreneurship.
0: Okay, lots of questions, as you might imagine. The thing that I think really has struck me is that it seems that the sort of through line of telling stories has been woven through virtually every single job that you've had from the very first one. And I'm wondering, you know, from a, a college newspaper to working at a TV station to all the things you've done, what are the things that you learned about telling effective stories or impactful stories?
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot,
1: How do you do it? I think that you should write a blog post on how to be authentic. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I thought, what? Because I don't know any other way to be. And from an early age, I decided that it was really important for me to be honest. And whether that was my parents' influence, I'm sure it was. But I, but I knew that I didn't want to be someone that told lies. I wanted to be someone that was honest. It's, it's as simple as that. And... The best story even as a kid, the best stories that I wrote, or I should say probably an early teen, because I read a story that I wrote when I was a kid recently. My mom my mum found it and it was really embarrassing. So let's say when my skills developed a bit in in my teens, the best stories that I wrote were the stories that pulled directly from my own experience. So say I had been sat in a room, you know, I could I could describe the exact situation and the emotions and the feelings and the smells in that moment. And that's what really would bring a story to life. And so as I began to embark on this career as a copywriter, client after client would come to me and I would be able to hold space for them and they would just open up to me. And I I know that you experience this all the time with your podcast guests, Um, but it was just incredible. Like, wow, they're really opening up. They're really telling me everything that they've been through, everything that led them to this moment. And it was those stories that I realized other people so needed to hear. It was those stories that – enabled them to be really authentic and really honest about who they were. And let's face it, if you have any kind of online business or you're expecting someone to do business with you when you've never actually met, like they need to get that sense of you. They need to get a sense of like, well, why do you care? Like, where do you come from? What's your deal? Like, so, um, yeah, so I, I, I think it's a really obvious thing to say, but yeah, just really being completely transparent. I even think about the stories that I share and I always say, oh, you know, I'm an open book. But even with me, I think that there's another level deeper that I could go in terms of really opening up. And I think that the more that we do that, The more that we open up and really share what's going on with us, the more we help other people realize that they're not alone, that we're all in this together. We're all trying to figure this out together. No one's got things completely figured out. No one has. Like, it doesn't matter how it looks on social media. Um, And so that's what I would say. Hmm.
0: How do you draw a line between transparency and being a train wreck. And I'll kind of expand on that because I don't remember who it was. It might have been an unmistakable creative guest. It might have been Daniel Laporte. But I think that there is a, a you know place where sharing the, the difficult things we're going through can be seen as a, a method of getting attention And another way to do it after you've processed it is often done from a place of service. And there's a difference like, you know, between treating your audience as your therapist and actually helping them and serving them with a story. So where do you draw that line?
1: I think you just did it perfectly. You know, that idea of coming from a place of service. I always talk about it as leading with empathy. And so... I think there are different places that different places and different times that you can share your story and there will be different purposes for doing that. So for example, a friend of mine locally has this really great story circle where women show up together and it's an intimate space and everyone feels safe and they share some really tricky subjects and stories and it will always be on a particular theme and I think there's something very therapeutic like you had mentioned about kind of getting something off your chest and also really owning your story and telling it in the way that you want it to be told. And I think there's a lot of power in that. I think there's healing in the telling. But I think when you're trying to tell your story in a business context, I think you absolutely have to lead with empathy and you have to think about What is the purpose of me sharing this story? And where are the connecting points in my story with potentially, you know, what might my clients think? Oh, me too. Or at the very least think I can really empathize with that. That's something similar to what I went through. And that's what you're really looking for.
0: Mm -hmm. So you've talked about empathy and and points of connection uh, with potential clients or anybody who comes across your work. I know that you you talk about this idea of crafting a signature story. What are the other elements that go into a person's signature story?
1: Mm. Well, I think that there is always an element of adversity in any story, right? Mm. And so it's, it can never just be a highlights reel. In fact, <laughs> I recently taught a... Workshop for Sony um, to some incredible photographers. They have this collective of, of world class photographers um, that all came together. And so they take phenomenal pictures, um, but they tend to hesitate when it comes to writing copy. And they were asking me about, well, you know, can't I just have like a, a, a bio in the third person on my website? And the great thing with that is that it get, allows you to really kind of brag. Like, you know, Srini Rao is, uh, you know, responsible for 700 plus interviews on the, whatever it might be, it enables you to say that stuff and to really allow yourself to shine without feeling kind of awkward or weird about it. Um, but I, I think when you're sharing your own story from the first person perspective, I think that if you're able to really weave in, yeah, the, the, The adversity that you've experienced and the message that you have to share as a result of that. I think that that is the most powerful thing that you can do. Like, there should always be a deeper message. Like, that's the connecting point. And so you can kind of share what you've been through, share how you came out the other side, and then share with a message of hope and reassurance so that anyone reading is like, ah. I get it. Like, it's all good. Of course, I'm talking specifically in terms of personal brands, but, um, yeah.
0: So one of the things that I'm always interested in when I'm talking to people like you is about finding through lines and why it often takes so long. And I'll, I'll give you some context for this. I think, you know, our story at unmistakable creative in a lot of ways is exactly that. You know, we didn't actually arrive at this thesis of unmistakable until almost four years into doing this. And I'm wondering, do you find that it often takes experience and putting things out into the world to discover what that through line is for people? Uh, or do they know it right off the bat?
1: 100%. I do think I do think that I always talk about business really being like this Evolution, and you know, think about it. We're all changing all the time. We're evolving. We're we're seeing different things and reading different things and being influenced by different things. So the way that we look at the world is ever changing, and so our businesses, of course, are going to change as a result. But also the story that we want to share because it still has to make sense in terms of our audience and everything else. Um, and so, yeah. But I also say at the same time that. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are in your journey. Everyone has a story worth telling. Everyone does. Even if you don't think that you do, you do. So even if you've just started your business, even if you haven't started your business yet, even if, you know, no matter where you are, there's always a story that you can tell. And yes, I think that it's absolutely important to be open to how that might change or shift or unfold as you come to Understand more clearly what your mission is, and what your purpose is, and what your life's work is, and what your message is. Um, but I, but I also don't want people to feel like they have to wait until it's perfect because they'll never put themselves out there. And you know, I do see that there's this real problem with people wrestling around being seen and heard and putting themselves out there in case they they get rejected or people don't resonate with them. It's, it's really hard to get over that. And we can really get a, in our own way in that respect. And so I would rather see people just kind of work on the mindset around that and put themselves out there and put their story out there as it is right now and know that it can change and know that it's not set in stone and know that whenever they want to tweak it at any point, they can do that.
0: So, you know, I I think I I really love this idea of everyone has a story worth telling. And I think that in a lot of ways, we've gotten it in our heads that the story that we have isn't worth telling if it doesn't reach a million people, if we can't monetize it in some way, uh, if it doesn't have this like game changing, huge impact on the world. And I just wonder what you think about that. Like, is a story worth telling, even if it's only to our friends and family or the only people who benefit from our creative legacy are the people closest to us?
1: Yes, of course. I think that that is definitely one of my messages. You know, I, again, I believe we all have a story worth telling no matter who you are or how far along in your journey you might be or what has or hasn't happened to you. You don't have to have a rags to riches story. And your story doesn't have to be over yet. I had a friend say to me, well, I think I have uh, the 100 Stories Worth Telling Project. And I had a friend say to me, well, I think I want to submit my story, but my story kind of isn't over yet. Like, it's a work in progress. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Like, I still want to share your story. Um, You know, I, I think... I think it comes down to sharing your truth and sharing something of who you are so that you can better connect with the people around you. And no matter, no matter what context you do that in, um, you know, it's, it's not about tethering yourself to a story that leaves you feeling disempowered in some way. It's about claiming all the resilience and fortitude you've gathered on your journey and telling the story that liberates you and others in the process. Mm.
0: Well, I think that makes a perfect segue to what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about. Now, I know that you uh, have a podcast called Movement Makers, which I have been a guest on. And as I, I knew I was going to be talking to you somewhere in the midst of our conversation, this thought came to me that this is actually really one of the biggest themes of our conversation. How does a story become a movement?
1: Mm. Well, so this is this is the work for me. Yeah. This is this is the sweet spot. This is the intersection between stories and movements. That is what I'm most. Uh, obsessed with right now Um, I really think that that is my life's work I have always again I think maybe going back to my childhood in terms of you know really seeing my parents with this mission and this message and okay that that was in a, a spiritual context but also you know, as I've been working with different clients, seeing that the people that I most enjoyed working with were the people who had this bigger sense of purpose. They had this bigger why, they had this bigger drive and desire to really change and shape the world in some way, in whichever way they were able to. And I think that there is this growing sense of urgency for many of us around that. You know, I I feel like I should be doing more, but what more can I do? Um, And, you know, I always say that Behind every movement, there is a story, and every story has the power and potential to lead to a movement. Um, and so, you know, we see that with the Me Too movement. You know, people sharing story after story after story, so much so that you know we all these different women were rallied around the same cause and sharing their stories, and it became this movement. Um, we see that again with the Never Again movement these tragic stories that we keep hearing over and over and over again. But it's important that we don't stop telling these stories because that's how we rally people to our cause. That's how we make change happen. That's how we have any hope of change in the future.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What tactically goes into transforming a story uh, into a movement? I mean, you've talked about me too and you know, never again, but let look, look at it from sort of a more positive light. If you know, we wanted to say, okay, what, causes unmistakable creative to go from a story to a movement? What causes your clients that you work with to go from telling a story to creating a
1: movement? You have to have a powerful vision. You have to know where you're going. You have to have a mission. You have to have a why that's driving you and you have to lead with empathy In that you have to know the people that you most want to serve, what are they struggling with and how are they feeling and how can you speak to that and how you speak to that is through your message. So you've got to have a message and what ties all of those things together is your story. And when you begin sharing that and when you get over yourself and begin using your voice and putting and owning your power and putting yourself out there in a bigger way. That's when people pay attention. That's when people are going to rally around you. That's when people are going to get on board and support your cause and, and move your cause forward. You know, I think about you have been influential on me for a long time. I think about a long time ago where you made a conscious attempt to and, and I feel like you, you still do this, but you really wanted to involve all the different members of your community and connect to them. And I think one of the things that you had done was create this Twitter list. And I just, th- th- there was something about the way that you did that that told me you were different, that you cared, that you had this bigger vision or this this bigger why, this bigger sense of purpose. And that was, and part of that was bringing people together in community. And, and um A lot of a lot of this is values based as well. Right. So once you have all those different components that I talked about, there are probably unifying values that you and the people that you want to rally around your cause all share. So it's really defining those and understanding what those are so that you can all be on the same page and you can all strengthen each other as you move forward.
0: It's interesting that you uh, bring up sort of my early attempts at community because I think my thoughts on how you build a community are are taking a very different form at the moment. You know, you and I have tossed ideas back and forth about dinners, some of which we've hosted. And the latest iteration of that is I know that people listen with family members and even pass on interviews to friends. and, And my thought was, well, why aren't people you know, why can't we get people to basically host discussion groups where they get together like a book club and discuss one of the latest episodes with their friends.
1: Yeah. I love it. I think that whenever you can get people together in person these days, it's such a victory. It really is. Yeah.
0: I think that there's a great danger in allowing digital connections to substitute for human ones because they simply can't. There's just a lot of things biologically that cannot occur. Uh, when you are not seeing each other in person.
1: Yeah, and and people are talking about a loneliness epidemic which is largely due to this fact that we're all so quote-unquote connected, digitally connected, but we're not truly connected in that we're not necessarily meeting up with each other as much as we would normally or we're seeing people connect and we're not involved and we don't feel like we belong and it's, it's really an interesting time that we're living through and to somehow claw back those in-person experiences i think is something that is is really important um I, I yeah
0: that it's interesting because you have this sort of instant connection to somebody digitally but I was just writing about this this morning about the fact that, you know, right now our attention really is the currency of achievement, but it's the currency of more than achievement. It's the currency of connection as well. And I couldn't help but think back to these really long dinners that I would sit down and have with uh, friends of mine when I studied abroad in Brazil. And, you know, we'd sit down and. It would be four or five hours before we got up, you know, despite many a drunken night where we walked out of a club at sunrise. I think it was in those four hour dinners that our friendships and our bonds were really formed. And I I can't remember the last time I sat at a restaurant until I was the last person there with a friend or at a bar until it was last call. And Mm -hmm. I think that we are in a hell of a hurry right now, um, which is in a lot of ways in my mind. Causing us to miss out on the world around us And even, you know, find the kinds of stories you're talking about In our lives
1: Yeah, I agree And, you know, it's really easy for me to say You know, we're, we're all feeling so lonely and we don't belong Like, that plagues me So yeah. often, you know, I I do have Great people around me, I do But so often, it just I think, you know, part of it as well is, is just Working from home And and, and it is, you know, I'm connected to thousands And thousands of people online But, I don't know how many of those relationships are true, and I would imagine not very many of them are, and that can be disconcerting. And and something happens when you meet someone face to face. The I actually hope that we get to at some point. By the way, yeah, the people it's that
0: strange I, that that's never happened.
1: I know it's going to happen, um, but the people that that I have connected with online and then met up with in person, like they are like. That has been incredible because suddenly that friendship, that connection is solidified. You realize that actually, in just the same way as you've talked online or in a, in a, on a Skype call or whatever else, it's just the same when you get together. Like nothing's different. It's not weird. It's totally normal. And I really want to make a conscious attempt to do more of that because what I've found as well in, is that as I've evolved as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, And so much of my focus and time has been in my business. I kind of need other people around me that get that. I need a community around me who have similar challenges and understand where I'm coming from, because otherwise it's a little bit hard. I think for people with a nine to five to really get like, why do you work that much? Like, why do you, why are you um, stressing yourself out as much as you're stressing yourself out? You know? So, um, but yeah, in person connections, that is the way forward. I, um, would love to come to a dinner party of yours sometime.
0: (laughs) We'll make sure just saying (laughs) we will make sure that that happens. Uh, well, this has been really, really amazing and eye-opening and thought-provoking and insightful. Uh, I think I will have to go back and play it multiple times just to get everything out of it that you put into it. So I want to finish with my final question, which I know I've heard you, you've heard me ask. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: I think it's a desire to show up as authentically as you can as the truest version of yourself without apology and just doing the work that you feel cool to do and not feeling like any of it needs to be perfect it just needs to be you
0: uh, well I think that makes a really fitting uh, end to our conversation where can people find out more about you and your work
1: I make it really easy for people. So my website is Nikki and you can find me pretty much everyone's social media at Nikki groom. And I would love to connect with you. So please do
0: awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the unmistakable creative podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming. Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared.
4: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50